1: Welcome to the New Books Network, I'm your host Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that my guests are Professor Ron Hirschbein and Professor Amin Asfari. Ron and Amin recently published a book by Routledge, Jews and Muslims in the White Supremacist Conspiratorial Imagination. The book has been released in 2023. Supremacists imagine that Jews and Muslims secretly strive to replace white European civilization with an unspeakable tyranny. Irshbane and Asfari, a Jew and a Muslim, analyze the nature of the conspiracism that targets their communities. In the book they have historicized the supremacist conspiratorial imagination, narrating the paranoia on a continuum from modernity to the postmodern. They begin with the text of modernity, following them through to the dark areas of the internet and examining their violent development in synagogues and mosques. The book investigates the classic text, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and neoclassic variations such as QAnon. It turns to Islamophobic responses to 9 11, such as paranoia regarding the Muslim Brotherhood and the doppelganger of the Protocols namely the project. Both Hirschbein and Asfari conclude by questioning how ordinary people, prompted by paranoia and recognition, hunger, resort to violence and murder. Admittedly, both authors are not certain. Certainty is for conspiracists, but they may have a piece of a puzzle. So this book will be… for those of you who are interested in conspiracy theories, in antisemitism, in Judeophobia and Islamophobia. Essentially, if you're interested to know more about how white supremacists see Jews and Muslims and how they have changed classic texts, like the Protocols, into something new and more contemporary. But before we delve into all of this, first things first, Amin and Ron, welcome. Thank you, thank you so
2: much, Roberto. Yeah, thanks for your interest in our work.
1: So the first question I want to ask both of you is that, can you tell us a little bit about your background and more importantly, about the origins of the book?
2: Roberto, thank you so much again for your interest in this book. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm an academic uh, 14 years into, uh, into an academic life. Uh, the, my interest in uh, conspiracism uh, arises out of an interest that's a bit ancillary, which is Islamophobia. Uh, my cousin Dia Barakat and was shot and killed by uh, an avid, uh, uh, let's say, anti-theist. Um, to be charitable, uh, in 2015 in UNC, uh, the news made national head, uh, headlines and uh, international headlines as well. And so I, I became curious: what What does it take for someone to be? Uh, so full of anger and rage and hostility toward a faith. Typically, we we see, for example, people that are uh, upset about matters of race, phenotype, uh, differences that one can see. But uh, with respect to faith, it was a little bit more troubling. And so there I began to investigate Islamophobia. And um, Ron and I got to talking, and Ron is a longtime colleague and mentor, and he uh, suggested, "Look, uh, we're both uh, sort of stigmatized and endangered by the same template," um, and that's what led to working on this project. And um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about it here. So, thank you so much. Uh, let
0: me reinforce what my colleague Amira said. We're uh, we're very pleased uh, by your interest in our work. So. Uh... Just to be mercifully brief here about uh, my biography, I've, uh, I've published quite a bit uh, in terms of uh, politics and current events and uh, been publishing in the uh, Popular Culture series. When I saw a request for a book on conspiracism, I, of course, thought about my friend and colleague, Amin, who uh, knows more about Islamophobia, I'm sure, than he cares to. And we decided to, write, decided to write a joint article about uh, conspiracies against Jews and Muslims. It turns out the same conspiratorial template, as we've argued in the book, is used against uh, both of our respective groups. So that led to uh, the current publication which, uh, which you've seen. In terms of my own personal experience, I've uh, only experienced what I would call anti-Semitism light. So happily, it's been a rather rare experience for me.
1: The book is called Jews and Muslims in the White Supremacist Conspiratorial Imagination. So my first question is very much about uh, can you tell us who these people are and what really white supremacy means? With respect
2: to... um... White supremacists today, I, I, uh, as opposed to white supremacists broadly speaking, white supremacists are people who are, are fond of the idea of an ethno ethnostate, uh, who are not cognizant of the recent literature on race, um, ethnicity, and the like. These are people who value only the idea, not the reality, uh, of whiteness. Um, the idea of whiteness as superior is one in which um, white civilization is superior to all others. Uh, It is one in which the modern world was constructed by and for whites. Uh, But the contemporary white supremacists are hidden in plain sight. Uh, They're hidden in plain sight because uh, they've removed the hoods of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, sort of the white supremacy of uh, long ago, for the suit and tie. These are the people who permeate websites. These are the people who permeate sort of the dark corners of the Internet. Uh, But they're also the the ones who permeate the workplace uh, sometimes. Uh, Without acknowledging... the the sense of white supremacy without understanding what white supremacy is. You know, one of the discussions I've had with my students when we talk about what what white supremacy is, I say, okay, well, you've learned to write an essay and the essay has a, a beginning paragraph, a body, a sort of an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. Uh, Fundamentally, that's a white white supremacist uh, 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 viewpoint, that that is a Western-centric idea, that this is the way in which writing is to be done. So it really permeates everything that we do. And it goes unquestioned precisely because it's so deeply ingrained in everything that we do. All the other isms are often investigated uh, by academics and researchers and scholars White supremacy is dormant, it, 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 uh, but, it, but it's always there. Uh, these white supremacists are uh, sort of coming out of the woodworks uh, now with respect to Jews and Muslims um, in, in a way that is peculiar because they view Jews and Muslims as uh, groups to be relegated to the margins of society, while simultaneously wielding superhuman powers so on the one hand, these are people that are that are other, that are less than, etc. On the other hand, they're overtaking Western civilization. They're undermining Western civilization and what is what they would believe is a sort of a white supremacist uh, 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 hold on power. Um, but uh, there's much more to be said here, but I'll forego that for perhaps uh, later in the discussion. Yeah, it seems
0: to me, uh, Roberto, we're talking about here is uh, the latest iteration of identity politics and uh, (laughs) curiously, two figures come to mind, uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, Richard Spencer. Uh, Freud came up with the uh, memorable notion of the narcissism of minor group differences. So given the uh, inveterate narcissism of our human species, people seem to have a need to differentiate themselves from fellow human beings and somehow imagine themselves as being uh, superior, if not uh, gifted by Almighty God. Uh, this seems to be the case in white supremacy. Uh, uh, Spencer is noted for giving a zieg Heil salute at uh, Trump's uh, inauguration and in meetings in support of Trump. Uh, the way he defines it in his imaginary is uh, it includes uh, Caucasian Europeans but uh as he says uh he doesn't want to engage in uh, a lot of mental masturbation uh, trying to make uh, finely honed distinctions about uh exactly which Europeans are uh are white uh as we mentioned once upon a time uh even the Irish didn't quite meet that fold but uh he has in mind uh, what would generally be called Anglo-Saxon uh, Europeans and other Europeans who are recognizably uh, Caucasian. Uh, he, of course, would like to have an ethno-state, uh, Christian nationalist uh, ethno-state, made up of uh, white Europeans. Uh, this notion used to be found in the. Uh, Fetid dregs of the uh, internet, and now it's found in places like Fox News and during the Trump administration, during the uh, halls of uh, power in Washington D.C. But this is largely an imagined uh, identity, and it's something endemic to uh, Christian nationalism. Uh, the irony is that for the Christian nationalists. Uh, Uh, People generally designated as Jews, uh, including Jesus Christ, whom they worship as God. Uh, uh, Rabbi Jesus, I guess, wouldn't be included in uh, their ethnostate, nor would uh, Mary, Joseph, and the uh, apostles. But it's an imagined uh, superior identity that uh, panders to uh, the narcissism of a particular group that somehow defines itself as white and superior to others.
1: If I, if I think about uh, Christian nationalists and white supremacists like uh, uh, Nick Fuentes, uh, you know, it's quite yes. clear what he thinks about Jews and Muslims because he's also very outspoken. But I, w- right. I was wondering if you can elaborate, uh, perhaps both of you, a little bit more about uh, who Jews and Muslims are in the eyes of these white supremacists. Well,
2: funny thing, uh, uh, Roberto, um, uh, again, uh, these individuals don't engage in filigree discussions of race. So uh, I wonder, um, is the (laughs) 20th generation uh, Texan Muslim, does that go into their consideration when they're thinking about this, or the Scandinavian Muslim who, like Ron suggested, is say, uh, your ideal Caucasian uh, 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 male or female. Uh, not so. Uh, this is why we talk about, or at least i I've, I've talking about this, as uh, Islamophobia being centered on uh, the Middle East. When you think of anti-Muslim hatred, you often think of and conflate Arabs uh, with Islam. Uh, meanwhile, Arabs make up less than 15% of the Muslim world. Uh, And so this is uh, further proof that uh, these individuals aren't engaging in filigree discussions uh, about race and and racism. Um, The uh, uh, Jews and Muslims are a reviled group in the eyes of these individuals, uh, reviled and uh, racialized. And that's a very important uh, uh, point to make. With respect to Muslims, they're racialized as Arab, uh, and they're a monolith. And uh, when you ascribe to a group that is deemed a monolith, a particular set of traits, whether they're cunning, like the Jew, or violent, like the Arab, uh, it becomes very easy to sort of talk about them in this way and to marginalize them further. I wonder what uh, Ron would have to say about uh, the Jewish group. Funny, you should ask. <laughs> we stress
0: in uh, in our book that uh, there's something imaginary about this. Supremacists don't have trouble imagining someone who's obviously Jewish in appearance, namely, uh, let's say, a Hasidic a rabbi with uh, particular uh, garb and uh, beard and so forth. But uh, many Jews, so to speak, uh, can pass. Uh, taken as rather uh, generic uh, white Europeans, which, as Amin and I discovered in our research, isn't surprising given the uh, European heritage, genetics of uh, Ashkenazi Jews. So the supremacists have to go to special trouble in order to uh, impose an otherness, a particular pernicious identity on us. Uh, In Internet can't... uh, the use of three brackets before and after a name uh where the uh, person uh, alleges that this person is jewish for example with my name hirschbein it strikes many as uh, a jewish name not all it looks uh, german to a lot of other people too but there would be three brackets before and three brackets after my name uh case of uh hitler uh apparently the uh, nazi legions also had some trouble identifying uh jews so there were of course the uh, yellow stars that were uh that were required uh, yeah. so the uh the identity has to isn't obvious it
2: has to be superimposed uh, uh- If if I can interject here, Ron, if I may. Uh, uh, Ron spoke of John Ernest talking about a Jewish essence uh, in his book, that there's something uh, essential about them. And that's sort of the racialization process that takes hold with many of these folks. And the same holds true of uh, a very famous conspiracy, or an infamous, rather, conspiracy about Muslims, uh, Arabia uh by right. Jill Lippman, yeah. in which she argues that uh, muslims are endowed with what she calls the jihad trait a proclivity toward violence um but again this to go back to another question you asked uh, this is what we find particularly intriguing um while they espouse that uh, these white supremacists espouse a hatred for jews and muslims uh we think that they really target phenotype, uh, certainly that's the case with uh, Muslims. Uh, consider the Canadian who ran over a Muslim family, uh, would he have done the same had they been blonde haired blue-eyed Canadians who were Muslims in faith? And so really what, what it is, is it's a repackaged form of racism. Uh, under the pretext of Islamophobia and or Judaism. And again, the same holds true for a Jewish group. Uh, Iran mentions Hasidic Jews who are readily identifiable by virtue of their externalities, their their dress and so forth. Um, But a Jewish uh, man or woman who appeared phenotypically white uh, wouldn't get the same hatred uh, if they didn't know their name, didn't know anything about them. Really, there's nothing remarkable about Islamophobia or anti-Semitism in the context of what's happening. Um, it, it is a repackaged form of racism premised on, I think, uh, a hatred of a phenotype that is not white.
0: Yeah, in terms of the uh, phenotype, of course, that uh, <laughs> it doesn't always work. Uh, they're in uh, the need for the yellow stars and the uh, bracketing. Uh, sure. Uh, In the introduction to our book, uh, we mentioned Hitler's attempt to come up with the Jewish phenotype. His uh, propaganda minister, uh, Joseph uh, Goebbels, sponsored a contest to uh, find a picture of the ideal Aryan baby. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) uh, curious turn of events, uh, Latvian Jews had their um, infant daughter entered into the contest and uh the uh, nazi propagandists determined that uh, this um, ethnically jewish kid was the ideal aryan child and it uh it was splashed all over uh, nazi propaganda i suppose much to the uh embarrassment of goebbels and the uh, and the others so it uh It's definitely uh, an imaginary uh, construction. Uh, Again, uh, expressing this uh, inveterate narcissism to uh, somehow uh, define a group and define yourself as a member of the group that somehow is uh, superior to your lessers.
1: Before diving into Uh, the specific question of uh, your chapters, I, I have a question related to methodology. So at the beginning of the book, you drew a sort of line between modern and postmodern conspiracism. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, this and what does, does it mean? And also I have a question about uh, uh, about the ways in which you see uh, conspiracy theories as theology. And I wanna you know, just uh, quote something here. You've write uh, an all encompassing meta narrative, the account of a malevolent agency controlling the past and directing the future. And so I was wondering if you can also uh, tell us a little bit more about this idea of looking at conspiracy theories as theology. Uh, we
0: course. got this. We got this idea from a uh, very important study uh, from Princeton University Press by uh, Muirhead and Rosenblum, where they uh, make a distinction between the old-fashioned conspiracism, the old conspiracy, and uh, the uh, new. Uh, what we've called postmodern conspiracy. What we do is uh, to, uh, inspired by their uh, need to historicize conspiracism, we begin with the uh, old style of the conspiracism. Uh, the most iconic piece would be, of course, uh, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is uh, built upon uh, a theory, an elaborate theory of uh, Jewish essentialism, racism, and uh, Elaborate uh, plans to uh, somehow dominate the entire world. So it's based upon a theory and a tendentious search for uh, for evidence and so forth. Uh, the interesting thing about it, as we've argued, is that uh, it cannot be uh, falsified. There's uh, no counterexample that would uh, in any way uh, discount uh, this uh, elaborate theorizing uh let's call it theorizing some uh, great stories some grand narrative about uh, Jews that's that's the modern uh that's the modern style of uh, conspiracism uh again vis-a-vis uh the protocols of the elders of zion but uh you won't find that much much of that on the uh, internet these days. Uh, uh, who likes to read? That sort of uh, grand theorizing is boring. Uh, in order now to, uh, to get fame, and we'd like to think misfortune, uh, uh, the conspiracists have by and large, at least on the internet, reverted to what we call postmodern conspiracy. And there the idea is not to be a theologian who has some some grasp of how history works and how history is going to end. The idea there is to simply be an entertainer to come up with the most, uh, cringeworthy, uh, memes and slurs about Jews and Muslims. And that's how you gain uh, fame and glory these days on the uh, postmodern internet. Um, uh, which is not to say that, uh, the old fashioned, uh, conspiracism, uh, has, uh, faded into obscurity. What's happened is the old fashioned kind, uh, namely, uh, say the protocols has been, uh, deconstructed, uh, dismembered into, uh, fragments. Uh, and the, uh, the more entertaining, the more cringeworthy, uh, the more fame uh, conspiracists uh, gets, uh, our contribution is uh, how this has been uh, gamified. Uh, it's been turned. A lot of these people uh, were formerly on internet sites. Uh, the uh, mass murderer uh, Brenton Tarrant uh, talks about being indebted to various. Uh, he's the person who murdered scores of uh, Muslims in uh, New Zealand. He talks about his indebtedness to various video games. So as we tune into the uh, Internet and, and uh, we find them bragging about uh, who gets the highest kill score. And uh, Ernest was uh, up to the challenge. He was trying to get the highest kill score. And this is based much more on uh, gamification and uh, bizarre entertainment than it is on uh, any uh attempt at a robust
2: theory um if i can add something briefly with respect to your the second portion of your question roberto about uh theology uh and i'm sure my colleague ron can contribute more but um we do think that there's a sense of uh theology in the postmodern conspiracism in that people get to revel in the in the revelations that is to say they get to be a part of uh, the doomsday scenario. They know uh, what's likely to happen. Uh, they and they alone uh, hold the keys to the future, and it's an uncertain future, and they get to play a role in it. So unlike the uh, the prophets of old uh, and the scriptures, you know, who we can read about. Uh, well, yeah, that's sort of boring. And now I get to be the prophet and I get to live in the in these very interesting times and I get to to play the main role again, uh, uh, paying heed to both uh, gamification uh in the sense that you get to play in this uh in this new game uh, and to theology in that you know something others don't. So it's a deep sense of narcissism as well. Uh, psychologically speaking, yeah,
0: it seems to me that um, I didn't mean to imply that the old fashioned, let's just instead of using uh, modernity and uh, post modernity, let's just use uh, the uh, old fashioned conspiracism and uh, the new conspiracism. Uh, this is not to suggest that the, uh, as Amin seems to imply, that the old fashioned conspiracism has disappeared. Uh, uh, to be sure, those of us who are academics are what we call epistemological vigilantes, and uh, we criticize the old-fashioned theoretical uh, conspiracism because it can't be uh, falsified. It uh, It's really a faith-based uh, theology. But just because it can't be falsified and doesn't meet our epistemological standards doesn't mean that it's um, meaningless for its adherence. On the contrary, Uh, even though they care not about whether it can be falsified or even proven, but it's redolent with meaning and purpose. And uh, in suggesting that uh, the remnants of the old fashioned conspiracism, are theology uh, go back to even uh, the book of Exodus and the uh, commandments from God that, uh, you shall have no other uh, God before thee. And uh, we, in it we have the uh, the veneration of whites as being uh, the supreme creation on the earth. You shall have uh, no other people before me uh, in this theology. Uh, and black lives certainly don't matter. And as Amin was suggesting, uh, these uh, old-fashioned conspiracies, which... Uh, still prevail to some extent, see themselves as Gnostics. They have uh, special knowledge, unlike the uh, sheeple who uh, somehow are clueless and hopelessly uh, brainwashed. And uh, they have, uh, of course, an account of evil uh, in uh, theologic terms, what theologians would call a theodicy, that evil is explained by the Inevitable machinations of Jews and Muslims, so it does have a strong theologic uh, component, but um, in my view, and um, maybe I depart somewhat from meaning this, uh, the meaning of this, the the latter day conspiracists who uh, are on the internet uh, are rather indifferent toward that. They would think that sort of thing is for normies and uh, their project, uh, their calling is to be uh, entertainers and uh, to get internet fame with their memes and and slurs. But uh, I I didn't mean to suggest that the old fashioned uh, theoretical conspiracism has died out, but it seems to me it's being largely supplanted by uh, these latter day conspiracists, the the people into uh, games and uh, Getting the highest kill score and uh, coming up with uh, cringeworthy uh, jokes about the uh, Holocaust. Uh, This is how they get their fame, not so much by being Gnostics.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, correct. And I won't belabor the point here, Roberto. So forgive me. I just want to, I didn't mean to suggest that somehow the old conspiracism is obsolete. But uh, I, I I found it rather curious that a lot of the churches, the Trump-supporting churches, the pastors and such, uh, began to sing the, pu- the, the 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 praises of QAnon conspiracy theories. Um, there, of course, uh, that draws in more of the crowds, uh, legitimizes their position as pastors and such. That you know uh, they they, and they sometimes make connections to, um, you know, the Old Testament or the prophets of old, while still um, suggesting that they now are are, are, are part of a, a grand scheme of things. They have, as Ron suggested, they, they have sort of uh, insight into the evil that's befalling us, typically the left or Democrats or some such thing. And um, and they know of a savior who's to come. And so they, they use conspiracism uh, in the churches and Many of these religious institutions, uh, to legitimize their own position, so they sort of live at the sort of the nexus between the old or the modern and the postmodern, yeah. Point well taken. I mean, what we find with uh
0: QAnon, it's uh very contemporary in that uh, it's a participatory game, and you uh you get to try to. Uh, you find yourself maybe in a Dan Brown uh, novel, and you're trying to interpret uh, the cue drops and uh, the various hints about what's to come. But yet we find in it, it uh, the fetid remains of uh, a lot of the uh, the old conspiracism, the blood libel against Jews. That uh, somehow, and this goes way back to medieval times, that uh, Jews were accused and often killed because they were accused of killing Christian babies and drinking their blood. And that is an endemic uh, belief right now of QAnon. So it shows the uh, pornographic imagination, this uh, this amalgam of uh, the worst of the old with uh, the most addictive uh, gamification uh, gaming of the new.
1: I want to move to your chapters, and I really want to talk about... uh to Ron now about uh, the protocols. Of course, you already mentioned them. I just wanted to ask you something, given the fact that the the protocols and other conspiracies really gained uh, the front seat uh, in American politics, obviously we saw them becoming much more prominent after 2016, uh, first during the campaign and after the election of Donald Trump uh, to the presidency. I was wondering if you can give us a sense of how the protocols of the elderly of Zion's changed. And I really like that in the book, you're talking about the protocols 2.0, and then later on even to 3.0. So I was wondering if you can trace for us uh, this kind of a uh, path taken by the protocols, how they, how they changed from the originals to the 2.0 and then to the 3.0, which basically brings us to QAnon that you already mentioned.
0: Well, the protocols, uh, uh, except for the true believers, are regarded as uh, pernicious forgery. Uh, our uh, initial reviewer suggested that we needed to do some more work. And talking about the origins of the uh, protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, uh, the protocol. It might be well here to uh, very quickly mention the theme of the uh, protocols: the ideas that. Uh, there's a, a cabal of uh, Jewish elders who uh, have, for centuries, plotted uh, how to eliminate uh, non-Jews, Gentiles, and to rule the world. And that eventually, uh, some descendant of uh, the House of David, of King David, would come to uh, to be the ultimate ruler of the world. And uh, genitals, uh, genitals, <laughs> interesting. Freudy's slip gentiles <laughs> gentiles would be uh shamelessly uh suppressed if not uh and not eliminated uh, there is considerable scholarly ink spilt about uh the origins of the forgery and as Anna Rent said um uh, everyone seems to know that it's uh not everyone but uh those uh, most scholars seem to know that it's a forgery but uh its origins are rather unclear. Some people think it uh, originated from paranoia from the Zionist conference held uh, toward the end of the 19th century. Uh, The giveaway for the forgery was that uh, various investigative uh, reporters and various scholars found that uh, it was based, it was uh, constructed on uh, not only on ancient libels but on two 19th century novels, which uh, depicted a Jewish conspiracy uh, meeting uh, in a Prague cemetery to uh, plan the uh, domination of the world. So the idea there is that, uh, and this is what's rather bizarre about it, uh, that uh, Jews who constitute uh, a large and diverse and uh, I can testify very contentious group that, uh, they have somehow gotten together to plan the, uh, destruction of, uh, Christendom, the, the Western world and have plans for world, uh, domination. Uh, this theme of course, uh, gets, uh, transmitted, uh, uh, me very cleverly came up with this idea of labeling it protocols two and protocols three, uh, books such as the Turner Diaries, which uh, apparently um, motivated uh, the uh, destruction of the Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Uh, uh, That contains the same theme about uh, Zionist dominated uh, government, which is somehow uh, taken over. And, of course, the uh, Turner Diaries, which uh, depict uh, Jews confiscating guns and uh, trying to arrange uh, their domination of the world. And the uh, iteration, as you were suggesting, Protocols 3 in, uh, in QAnon, uh, our research indicates in the QAnon sites that uh, these sites are re- Uh, Replete with uh, Jew hatred and the idea that, uh, again, uh, Jews somehow have instituted this blood libel and have nothing better to do than to want to uh, dominate the world, probably through the deep state. But one day, and this is where the religious element is in, uh, there's a great redeemer, uh, Donald Trump will arrange the execute of the uh, malefactors and institute uh, an even greater America. So, uh, like the uh, 19th century uh, zombies in the literature, uh, the we're still haunted by uh, the, uh, uh, the zombies from the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion.
1: I have a question about the protocols. I mean, obviously, the protocols were very popular in the 1930s in America, and I can think of Henry Ford, the American exactly. first committee. But it looked like, you know, eventually, mostly because of uh, the events that mark World War II and the Holocaust, it, it looked it was accepted they were, uh, obviously, a forgery, and they kind of disappeared from the narratives in general. But it, it it seems that QAnon, at least, it seems to me that QAnon has resurrected them somehow. And I was wondering if you could perhaps speak a little bit more about this relationship between the protocols, QAnon, and anti-Semitism. I mean, obviously, there's a QAnon hates the Jews somehow, but I was wondering if you can clarify what's the relationship between QAnon, you know, anti-Semitism, and the protocols.
0: Well, again, uh, I don't have a specific reference in your book, but uh, uh, various scholars have archived... Uh, some of the QAnon postings, and uh, I think they found thousands of uh, QAnon postings that uh, express uh, Jew hatred. I'm not that fond of using the term anti-Semitism because it was conned it was <laughs> it was con by uh, Wilhelm Marr, nineteenth uh, century Jew hater, but. Uh, yeah, generally, as some people have said, anytime uh, there's a conspiracy, you can generally uh, default to Jews and finding that uh, Jews are playing some uh, determinative role and pulling the strings. So, uh, in the QAnon postings, you'll find references to uh, obviously to George Soros, uh, a, a Jewish financier, and of course to uh, to Henry Kissinger. But uh, once again, there's the idea that uh, there's some group uh, with malevolent intentions and powers uh, plotting in secret um, to do evil, but not Jews alone. uh, It's not quite clear in QAnon whether uh, Hillary, for example, who's uh, a witch in uh, the QAnon story, uh, whether she's (laughs) Acting as uh, a witch, uh, independently, or whether some uh, some Jewish officialdom is pulling the strings, you could probably find both. I bet. I suppose if you were to look hard enough, but we find. Uh, oh, the way I put it in the book is something like this: in uh, a Janus-like perspective, uh, Janus being the uh, Roman god. Uh, who at once looks backwards and looks forward. So uh, let me try to uh, pander that that metaphor just a bit. Uh, QAnon looks backward to uh, these uh, Jewish blood libels, but uh, it also looks forward to uh, redemption, that uh, one day, uh, and Trump, uh, much to his liking, is cast in some sort of savior role, I guess he still is, that one day Trump will return and justice will be done. The uh, deep state will be eliminated and uh, Hillary and her uh, minions will be executed. So uh, QAnon doesn't build, it's unlike the protocols, it it doesn't build a, a consistent, seamless theory about Jews but what would a conspiracy be without any mention of Jews and Jewish uh, machinations? I don't know, is this responsive to your uh, question?
1: Absolutely. And I just wanna say that uh, uh, obviously a a conspiracy without the Jews is probably not a real conspiracy, but now moving to Amin, I really want to ask about uh, uh, Muslims or actually better saying the Muslim Brotherhood because it seems that the imagination of uh, conspiracists actually it's the Muslim Brotherhood, the real problem. So, can you trace for us a sort of, a, you know, what is the real Muslim Brotherhood and what is the imagined Muslim Brotherhood in the eyes of a, a conspiracist?
2: Yeah, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood actually originates in the early 20th century um, by um, an Egyptian school teacher, uh, Al Benna, Hassan Al banna I believe his name is. Uh, in Egypt, and the idea is, of course, that uh, well, look, um, you have this British imperial rule, and it's uh, contrary to anything that is Islamic or Islamic, uh, an Islamic way of life, um, to include, but not limited to, our very culture, uh, our existence as sort of a, a, a Muslim majority nation. And so he and his contemporaries believe that uh, they need to renew um, the sort of Egyptian national spirit in a way that is more aligned with the teachings of Islam. And those specifically uh, are this idea of altruism and civic duty and looking at the downtrodden and the people that have been marginalized by oppressive economic systems, well, the only savior for us is going back to a Sharia-based civil law uh, in which the poor and the destitute are cared for vis-a-vis the mandatory charity and so on, right? But largely it's it's a social justice movement aimed at overthrowing uh, British imperial rule at the time. So unlike the protocols, um, which are largely fictitious, and I say largely, uh, and I'll elaborate on that uh, in just a moment, um, the Brotherhood did exist, does exist in fact, until recent elections in, in Egypt, um, where um, the president was elected, he was an avid supporter of the uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, again, uh, he ran on the platform of social justice reform and so on. The problem becomes, uh, for the Muslim Brotherhoods uh, in the conspiratorial imagination, uh, which are uh, contrary to evidence. So as this movement grew, um, it was clamped down on, and it was, uh, you know, there was a brutal uh, campaign against uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. in many of the Middle Eastern nations or the Muslim majority nations, which were secular nations, nationalistic, the Ba'ath Party of Syria, the Ba'ath Party of Saddam Hussein and others, viewed them very much as a threat to their existence. And so in the the conspiracist imagination, not so. And uh, when we talk about Arabia, uh, there's always this idea that the Muslim Brotherhood is is working with both both secular Arab regimes, which of course is factually incorrect, and uh, European uh, leaders to undermine Western civilization. Uh, and this is, of course, uh, very problematic, uh, just looking at the uh, prima facie evidence uh, uh, of the history of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, with respect to the protocols, I suggest that they are largely false in the sense that um, the seeds of truth to any conspiracy are often found in things like, look, um, this uh, famous Jewish person and or Muslim person nowadays is in government, and therefore, this is proof or evidence of these conspiracies. This person owns a media company. These people are now represented in government uh, as uh, members of the House or Congress or Senate and so on and so forth. Judges that are appointed that are Muslim or Jew um, are often used as evidence. Uh, But that's, of course, a natural reaction uh, when you're talking about intergroup threat. When you're talking about any group that's being outcast and marginalized, um, they tend to engage in this kind of uh, sort of pushing back by... uh, Appealing to power dynamics, they need to be more represented in in, in film and media and so on, and that gives fodder to the supremacists, and so they'll use that as evidence of well, look, this is evidence of the uh, of the protocols that in fact they are taking over, they do control the media and and, and so on, and uh, you know, as one uh, Republican uh, uh, member of the House somewhere in the U.S. Uh, Midwest, I believe, she said. Uh, look, I'm pulling my kids out of school because the Muslims are taking over. They're, they're, her school is serving hummus, which is uh, <laughs> clear evidence of uh, uh, of, of a uh, Muslim takeover.
0: Um, yeah, a quick comment on the brotherhood, if I may. Um, as Amin Efton points out, uh, the brotherhoods, and we stress the plural because there are many different types of brotherhoods. They do exist in faraway places with strange, sunny names, but uh, we have some all-American paranoia that somehow the uh, brotherhood is a fifth column. Uh, uh, The brotherhood is uh, in cells in the United States metastasizing and corrupting and necrotizing the uh, body politic. What we argue in the book is that... uh, the uh, fraternal uh, brotherhood, to the extent that it exists in the United States, has no more power to determine domestic uh, or foreign policy than the Elks Club or the Rotary Club or the Lions Club. It uh, It's a prime example of um, good old American-style uh, paranoia, as uh, Hofstadter uh, mentioned in his uh, uh, iconic uh, long-ago
1: book. I mean, maybe... Hummus and shawarma have not yet made their way into American schools, but certainly very popular in Europe. And so I really yeah. want to talk about Eurabia, uh, which was written by Batior, whose name really is uh, Gisele Litman, a Jewish Egyptian uh, Egyptian woman.
2: Yeah, um, she. Uh of course, as I alluded to earlier, uh, wants us to believe that Muslims are endowed with an indelible feature, this jihad trait. But she comes at this uh, idea, uh, and there's a bit of irony, of course, and let me address the irony. There's a bit of, uh, uh, she comes at this idea that um, the Muslim Brotherhood is, of course, colluding with uh, Arab regimes and such, the irony is that her book is often used by white supremacists who also target Jews. I mean, so for her, it's this idea of protecting the Israel, uh, Israeli apartheid regime. Um, but uh, and, and very little concern with the fact that white supremacists use her ideas and spread her ideas uh, in the Internet to promote also this, this sort of parallel conspiracy of, of a Jewish takeover. Um She uh, evokes the same sort of template Uh, she talks about the appendage of the uh, Arab, um, of the Muslim Brotherhoods. That appendage, of course, is iconic. If you look at figures of anti-Semitic tropes or memes, you look at this octopus uh, of of Jewish global uh, domination or what's uh, famously called Zag, Zionist Occupied Government. Uh, so she uses even the same terminology as the white supremacists to to, uh, to promote her uh, anti-Muslim tropes. Um, the idea, of course, is that um, there was a discovery of a manuscript that talks about uh, uh, that, that it's called the project. And this is how the Muslim Brotherhood uh, plans to take over the world. Funny thing. Uh, no mention of who discovers this manuscript. Uh, the manuscript almost follows verbatim the uh, protocols of the Elders of Zion, with respect to these are the these are the points that we're going to use to take over. We're going to take over control of the educational system. We're going to surveil the the Europeans and mass or the Americans or whatever. And there, there's a bit of irony because almost all of the things that she meant or that that this uh, project mentions. Our policies that were instituted for the surveillance of Muslims and uh, by proxy Jews at, at some points, uh, the color coding uh of um you know uh, of the terror threat post-9-11, the uh the, the the educational systems. If you look at some of the programs about uh compulsive assimilation practices in the West, um Pre and post-9-11, um, this idea of changing a, an educational system to make people more Western-centric, to make them more American, to assimilate them forcibly. Um, so these ideas are taken directly from uh, the actual practices that are and policies that have been in, uh, put in place in the United States and elsewhere. Uh, and there's no specifics that are ever mentioned, so there are no specific ways that these uh, su- the supposed Muslim Brotherhood is going to achieve their goals. They're just um, placed there as bullet points, headers to uh, to really instill a sense of paranoia, not so much uh, a strategic plan in any meaningful sense of the word. Um, so we, I question, of course, this idea that uh, is it is it really about uh, instilling fear of the other, uh, perpetuating Islamophobia, uh, or is it a fact-based um, document? And I would I would uh, counter that it's in fact the former, and not not the latter. You know,
0: looking back on uh, this discussion, uh, if not our entire book and uh, research, uh, still uh, haunted by a rather harrowing question: uh, Where do these ideas come from? what is the origin of this imagination? We start the book with this quote from Latin, uh, credo absurdum." the more absurd, the more believable. Uh, it would be understandable if some of these conspiracies got these ideas about Jews and Muslims from actual very unfavorable, uh, contact with Jews and Muslims, for example, uh, well, yeah, uh, the Jewish uh, defense league came after me and, uh, they beat the, uh, the hell out of me or they, uh, they trashed my church uh, or uh, I was a soldier in the greater Middle East and uh, there I saw some of my buddies in Iraq killed by Muslims. But there's none of that at all. What we find, uh, again, and this is what we've called the uh, postmodern conspiracism. uh This seems to be largely not a product of uh, personal contact and actual experience. That's why we stress imagination. And the imagination seems to uh, be a product of uh, Internet addiction. Uh, Amin came up with a very uh, telling metaphor that uh, that we use. Uh, generally, in a lot of studies, you probably noticed this report, a lot of studies, conspiracism, uh, they harken back to this cliche, oh, well, they found these people fell down a rabbit hole. Well, that, I think, is uh, misplaced... Um, Analogy, because going uh, on a rabbit hole, you find delightfully uh, peculiar creatures, and uh, the adventure uh, ends rather well for uh, Alice as she reawakens. Uh, Amin uh, reminded me of my uh, history of philosophy days, and in Book Two of Plato's Republic, and got to give you a lot of credit for this, Amin. Uh, <laughs> He reiterates the Ring of Gyges, it turns out, in this, uh, shall we call it a parable, and this works very well for understanding Latter-day conspiracism, Mm -hmm. there's an earthquake and the shepherd boy Gyges falls into a crevice and there is a skeleton with a magic ring and he twists the ring, one twist and he becomes invisible and he can commit all kinds of mayhem and uh, perfidy, And another twist, and he becomes a very visible tyrant. So it's as if the internet gives the uh, latter day conspiracist the ring of Gyges. Uh, he or she, and it's largely he, can twist the ring and remain anonymous, uh, invisible. But when the need arises for, and one thing uh, we, we stress, we probably need to stress more in the study is recognition of hunger. That the conspiracists crave recognition and they can give the ring another twist and attain uh, recognition, not only amongst the anonymous internet brothers, but attain recognition by getting the highest kill score trying to top what uh, Brevik and uh, Tarrant and Ernest and the others were able to do. So the Internet affords this opportunity then for uh, invisibility when necessary and lurid recognition uh, when desired.
1: What you just said r- literally is the perfect bridge for my last uh, couple of questions. In the book, okay. you talk about uh, free individuals like... Uh, John Ernst Robert Bowers and Brenton Tarrant which you define as the normal dudes regular people who decided to act and in fact in their beliefs to prevent conspiracies to become real and I was wondering if you you know can tell us a little bit more about these individuals uh, you know and also talk about the question of the uh, of the manifesto on one end it looks like uh, they're acting in order to stop a conspiracy but when we really look into a uh, what they believe is that it looks like they're more uh, seeking attention than really fighting for a cause.
0: Well, what are we to make of uh, their manifestos? Um, In the first place, if these people were really sincere zealots and they wanted nothing more than to uh, kill Jews and Muslims, or at least to uh, ignite a civil war, you would think that they would want to work anonymously, they wouldn't want to get caught. But uh, they are obsessed. uh, It seems to me getting narcissistic nutrients. Uh, And Tarrant, uh, maybe is uh, the most uh, odious example, uh, not only to decide to, uh, to video his mayhem in uh, two mosques in New Zealand, He wanted to have uh, a post-massacre celebration of it, narrated with music. How much do these people, and I'm still bothered by that question, uh, do these people sincerely uh, entertain the uh, hatred of Jews and Muslims that they profess? Or are they simply craving uh, recognition hunger? Or could it be some combination of the two? Or do they know themselves? So I can't, I haven't fully resolved that question in my mind. Uh, well, actually, it was a sociologist, Durkheim, who talked about uh, getting back to religion again. Uh, religion is uh, the worship of your group, uh, wanting to have recognition of your group, uh, wanting to give your group some uh, almost... Uh, supernatural virtue and fame so these people the three that you just mentioned are certainly uh going out of their they're not acting in secret where they would obviously be more uh, effective uh soldiers for their glorious cause so to speak uh they do want the recognition and could it be that uh, this
2: recognition is uh their overarching motive uh, so forgive me, Ron. Uh, if I can chime in here, uh, you know, as a as a criminologist, I I think about criminological theory as uh, as a way to explain some of their behavior, and they don't seem to fit uh, in the traditional sense any of the of the antecedent conditions. But what ends up happening, um, you know, Ron talked about the Ring of Gyges and such. Uh, Consider this. So we talk about differential association theory where, well, uh, crime is learned behavior. You uh, you know, you're not born instinctively knowing how to engage in crime, uh, how to, uh, you know, hijack airplanes or carjack or whatever the case may be. You generally uh, get in with a group and they uh, socialize you and uh, they praise you when you do these uh, sort of uh, uh, things and you begin to learn their behavior. So you're, you're, you're learning how to smoke marijuana and such. Well, uh, in the case of John Ernest, for example, in San Diego, uh playing renditions of Chopin and being a nursing student, uh, where does he actually get in with the group other than the internet? The internet becomes the qualitative right. difference here. Uh, he learns and he has to sing the the, the, the praises of the group by uh, talking about the worship of your group. He has to, uh, he has to at least declare uh, the, the credo of the group, which is, you don't join the Bloods gang by saying, hey, look, uh, I really want to become a Blood member. Uh, is it true what you say about the Crips? Are they really terrible people? Uh, you don't ask for veracity. Uh, you just declare exactly what the group says in order to blend in. And this is where the ringing of Gyges comes in. In order to become invisible, in order to become accepted by the group, you have to sing the, the credo of the group. Um, but then... Uh, because of the the narcissistic nutrients, the the need to to stand out, you have to uh, inevitably, you have to be dared, uh, and they dare one another, well, you can't be just any member of the group, you're someone more special, again, given this idea of uh, the the need to stand out, and so they act upon it. Uh, um, And we see a lot of this in the you know, neurological studies of memes and such, um, which I talk about a little bit in the book, what is the impact of memes and memification uh, in conveying messages about these groups? How do we know we're supposed to hate Jews and Muslims? Uh, I call this, of course, um, a high-fashion hatred that it comes through public policy and the media and other sort of uh, uh, mechanisms, but then it finds itself on the internet, in memes. Uh, So tomorrow we could hate another group, but uh, what do they look like? How do I target these individuals? So when I want to stand out and be recognized, how do I go after them? How do I recognize them? And that's the role of memes. Yeah, I mean, you and I tried to uh,
0: understand what makes these people tick. So um, in good social scientific fashion, we looked at the studies of uh, antecedent conditions. And it turns out that uh, these people particularly, Ernest, didn't meet any of the antecedent conditions. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it's not that they had uh, terrible contacts with Jews and Muslims, uh, nothing like that at all. Uh, Instead, uh, we turned to addiction, uh, namely internet addiction. And it turns out, uh, unhappily, perfectly stable person who's led a pretty good life can become addicted, let's say to, uh, to the opiates, uh, takes a lot of opiates for a uh, back pain. And, uh, suddenly this person, uh, is an addict, uh, or the same thing, uh, with somebody, who uh, maybe uh, gets involved in slot machines in Vegas, uh, perfectly solid person. And, uh, suddenly the uh, person acquires a gambling addiction, uh, the uh, Internet sites are designed expressively, expressly, to uh, encourage uh, such addictions. That's exactly how they're di- designed with the uh, algorithms and uh, clickbaits. And uh, the case, though, of Ernest is particularly baffling. Uh, this guy here in the uh, San Diego area, would, from what we found about his biography, he would seem to be... Uh, the ideal son the uh otter student he's w- uh, winning you know, awards at recitals for uh his renditions of chopin uh he's uh he's on the swimming team uh he seems to be having uh, a perfectly fulfilling life here in the sunshine in uh, san diego but uh could it be that uh he saw his future and here's where we try to give the appropriate place to boredom that it seemed like a rather boring, uh, uneventful life. And, uh, he fell through the crevice and acquired the ring of gyges and, uh, he wanted something more, something, uh, really thrilling and exciting. And, uh, suddenly, uh, he would be, uh, Gaining uh, fame and glory by uh, winning this ultimate uh, video game, a game played for the uh, highest stakes. Uh, so, this same individual who played Chopin so beautifully also fantasized in his manifesto, his manifesto about uh, killing Jews and Muslims with a flamethrower. Uh, was this for the? Uh, Personal glorification for acceptance in his group. Uh, a caveat: uh, We're not certain about what made these people tick. Uh, certainty is for conspiracists, uh, not for us. And uh, we're not just being um, uh, modest here, saying that uh, maybe at best we uh, contribute a little piece of the puzzle here that can inspire some further research. But uh, in the final analysis, uh, it's hard to be certain about what would make some somebody's ideal son, like John Erz, what would make someone like that tick.
1: Could you speculate on the next future of white supremacy? Uh,
2: white supremacy is here to stay, in my view. Um, Unfortunately, I think uh, these systems tend to morph uh, rather quickly. You saw that uh, with the advent of slavery and then Jim Crow and, uh, and now uh, cancelling books and so forth uh, on the pretext that uh, such knowledge uh, makes us fascists. Uh, no irony there that uh, the fascists were the ones that were burning and cancelling books. Um, so the way in which it, form- uh, it morphs Um, will no doubt surprise, or perhaps not surprise, many of us. Um, But uh, white supremacy is vying for power. And, uh, you know, I have a a bit of a theory myself, call me a conspiracist, but uh, when we saw Donald Trump uh, talking about the building of a wall on the Mexican border and simultaneously advocating for the Muslim ban, While simultaneously talking about this issue of uh, 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 banning abortions, uh, what's the common thread that ties all those three things? It seems that, uh, well, uh, if if we look at statistics of of abortions, uh, most women who are having abortions are white women. What is the purported threat from the Middle East, this idea of mass migration. He wants to go to pre-1965 when only people from Scandinavia could migrate here. And uh, talking about the caravans and the droves that are coming here, seems to me that those were policies that are really at the root of those policies was white supremacy and maintaining white dominance, and this plays into this narrative of the replacement theory, which of course the conspiracists pick up on rather, rather uh, eloquently. Again, uh, when we talk about high fashion hatred, uh, we, in the context of Islamophobia, at least we talk about private and public Islamophobia. Public Islamophobia are policies, rules, and procedures by government uh, that that depict a particular group in a a particular way. Uh, Even oftentimes well-intentioned policies that that somehow tie, say, Muslims to, well, not all Muslims are terrorists, right? In in that kind of a statement, what you're implying is that terrorism and Islam are somehow related. And and those kinds of policies often find their way down. That's the only sort of trickle-down theory that I believe in. Uh, the idea that uh, these kinds of uh, public Islamophobic policies tend to inflame the private Islamophobia of individuals, acting perhaps out of fear of intergroup threat, out of replacement, uh, or whatever the case may be. And and as Ron eloquently put it, uh, we're not certain why individuals act. Certainly everyone is subservient to these kinds of messages. Why is it then that a few people act? And here, of course, we turn to the memification and such, but um, not to uh, uh, you know uh, uh, prolong the discussion. But I hope that that answers your question as far as as what I see uh, where white supremacy is going. Yeah, in my view, supremacists and
0: uh, their conspiracism uh, will not be a thing of the past. It seems to me it appeals to uh, to, two sectors in. American society and maybe others, uh, as economic conditions and inflation uh, continue to undermine the uh, condition of ordinary people, there's going to be a search for somebody to blame. Surely some uh, conspirators uh, might be uh, guilty of doing this. Uh, The conspirators uh, who are uh, bringing in... uh, so-called inferior groups uh, into the country, and uh, even without the replacement, uh, they themselves, uh, vis-a-vis the protocols, uh, are, uh, are committing mayhem and uh, undermining uh, the lives of uh, good white uh, people who work so hard. So it would appeal to, uh, and indeed it does, to people who find their uh, economic conditions, their lives uh, undermined, uh, particularly if uh, they want to feel that uh, they're in sacred white spaces and they're uh, superior to, uh, to other people. But it also, and this is the case of uh, Ernest and some of the other uh, people who come from upper middle class uh, backgrounds, uh, uh, maybe we should have given more weight to our discussion of uh, boredom. But uh, we begin the study by talking about this anecdote from some journalists from the Atlantic who uh, quote some young man who remains anonymous and uh, he's suffering from despair. He's saying, uh, he's lamenting, uh, give me uh, a white man who, uh, who is comfortable, a white European man, and, uh, I'm bored. Give me something to believe in. Uh, Life just seems kind of empty and meaningless. Um, It's kind of what I call a terminal uh, ennui. Uh, Somebody else writes in, uh, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you write some uh, conspiracy about uh, Jews and pedophile and uh, try and publish that in the Amazon self-publishing pages? So we call him our candidate, and throughout the book, we uh, suggest how uh, the various varieties of conspiracism, old and new, might uh, somehow uh, meet his needs and overcome his boredom. So uh, there's also this appeal to uh, bored uh, middle-class individuals who uh, find life uh, rather, rather empty. Which is a long way of saying uh, the uh, supremacist conspiracism uh, ain't going to disappear anytime soon, as the storming of the Capitol illustrates.
1: These were Ron Hirschbein and Amin Asfari, authors of Jews and Muslims in the White Supremacist Conspiratorial Imagination, published by Routledge in 2023. Ron, Amin, thank you so much. Thank you thank you so
2: much colleague thank you brother I yeah, appreciate thank it. you for your interest in our, our study